This week, how to hug your enemy and feel good all the time. That's quite the statement, Daniel, but allow me to prove it. Then, I finally reveal a massive legend of a skeleton found and lost in Hamilton. Now, I love these spiritual segments. I hope you do, too. Because it's not just about the ghosts for me, you know? I, um... I'm multifaceted. I am a huge believer in ghost stories, and that is a big part of my life. I tell ghost stories for a living. I talk about history for a living. But one of the things that keeps me connected to this spiritual world is being a spiritual person. So things through meditation, um, you know, just being naturally spiritual, looking into that, uh, increasing my psychic abilities as much as possible, although I wouldn't consider myself psychic or sensitive, never have, never will, but I do believe in it, in, in certain things. Maybe, maybe one day I'll get into more detail about exactly what I believe in when it comes to psychic abilities, but definitely the idea of being more sensitive to the spiritual realm is hugely important to me. So I throw in these spiritual segments every now and then because it's a big part of my life. So this one's kind of weird. I know I really boasted about it at the beginning, but this one's kind of weird because it is not in our natural state to do this. Because especially in modern society, it tends to be us versus them, which is for a social animal such as us, could mean death. And I think in many ways on a political level, it is easier to control people who are separated that way. And this is why I think the beauty of spiritual practice is it gets you more connected. And being connected is just a more blissful and happy life. So I'm going to use this opportunity to share a technique that works very well for me, especially as a business owner. Uh, you know, when you're getting uh, some flack, some uh, tension from a customer who didn't quite know what to expect coming into it, maybe they didn't like it. And some people, they approach it in a very aggressive way. And this happened in your life as well. If you got an aggressive boss at work, for example, who constantly treats you poorly, this is a good way to get on a connected level with them. And even the most nasty of bosses, if you connect with them on a certain spiritual level, they'll usually calm down around you. I've noticed in my own personal life, it can go one of two ways. Either they'll treat you as a friend and they'll be kind towards you, even though they're not kind to anybody else. Or the second thing is they'll just be like, because they don't really understand how you cannot react with emotion because that's their entire life. So in that case, they'll be a little bit, not scared, but hesitant around you. So having this uh, ability to connect with people on an energy level does change how folks react towards you in a very good way. So this technique can definitely lead you to that. Of course, there are many other techniques to get on a you know, more advanced level. And if you're looking for that, I would highly recommend uh, reading, you know, books on spirituality. You can focus in on Buddhist teachings. I know a philosopher uh, from the past named Alan Watts. Highly recommend his stuff. 
and then if you read books by uh, Ajahn Brahm or Tetnahan, you know, they, these are Buddhist monks who are very effective in how they communicate techniques of being more spiritual. You can definitely go into that. So this one is basically what I titled Hugging Your Enemy. And I made it very over the top to catch your attention. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain it. And you might be thinking, oh, how is this related to ghost investigation? Don't worry. I'm going to roundhouse kick it at the end. <laughs> so, you know, you know, it's going to be related at the end uh, with a roadhouse style roundhouse kick. R.I.P. Patrick Swayze. So the idea of heightening your own sensitivity is a big part of ghost investigation. And by doing this, you are changing your focus on life from being more material, more physical, to living more spiritual, which for how we were raised and how all children are raised to be kind of stuck in your physical ego, this is not a natural thing. So it's going to take you time. I think when I first started out, I felt uncomfortable for a good one or two years of doing this, of regular meditation, of studying, and then eventually it kind of clicked. Not saying I'm enlightened. I'm definitely not enlightened. I kind of don't want to be enlightened, but it definitely stuck, and it changed how I was in a very positive way. So everybody can be more sensitive. Everybody can be a certain level of psychic. So how we get stuck in the ego is through mostly anger. There's certain emotions that damage us in very unfortunate ways and anger is certainly one of them and one of the ways you can feel angry is by thinking of yourself as being separate from everybody else you know that person doesn't have the same beliefs as me that person lives their life in a way that i don't understand and i don't care for and they are different so when they do something that affects you that somehow interjects itself into your life you immediately react to that in a very poor and negative way, causing yourself to feel anger. You may feel anger towards them, and then you, the anger itself permeates throughout your body. So this can happen at work with a bad boss. This can happen in your life if you and your spouse, for example, are having hard times. This can happen on the road, which unfortunately is becoming more common. I've seen it personally, is getting tailed by somebody getting cut off by somebody somebody flipping you the bird and you're like why'd they do that you don't think you did anything wrong and then you feel anger towards them it can happen anywhere now we get in that sense where we just react to it because this is how we were raised so this teaching of just reacting with anger has been embedded in our subconscious and it's not something that we can technically control and I'm going to tell you at the beginning, you're not going to be able to control it. Even years later, you're going to react in a certain way because that's just embedded in you. But catching it is the key. So the first time you might not catch it until like an hour into it uh, or even a day. The second time it might be an hour. The third time it might be after 30 minutes and so on and so forth until you can get yourself to a point that you'll react with anger, which is normal. That's we all do. Even Buddhist monks, I'm sure, would. But you react with that anger and you catch it right away. And that's the key, is catching it. So you can catch it as close to the moment as possible. You are changing that subconscious teaching to say, oh, wait, there is another way. 
And then when you feel the bliss that's associated with releasing that energy, you have like a reward at the end. So it is, we are basically primal when it comes down to it. It's the same technique of the lab mice where they did the experiments. If you uh, touch the one thing, you get a treat. You touch the other, you get a shock. So living with anger is just constant shocks. You're constantly being shocked and you don't really realize there's another way. So when you do react and you catch it and you release it, you then are giving yourself that treat and it does quickly permeate into your subconscious, making that teaching uh, quite blissful and quite enjoyable. So here's the technique. Finally, hugging your enemies. So basically, we all have an energy signature. I believe this because I can feel it. Um, I feel my own during meditation. You can feel others. And this is a good way of getting really deeply connected to someone is to kind of like feel into their energy. But that's another subject. So everybody has their own energy signature. And also everybody has a love for humankind. Deep down. Some people it's deeper than others. Because you have to. We are social animals. The only way we survive is by being sociable. Even the most introverted person needs to have a connection to feel healthy in their life it's just you know it's it's normal so by feeling others energies you can start out very subtle with this just go to your local coffee shop sit down with a nice coffee and just um subtly don't like stare hard at anybody but subtly uh pick people out of the room and you don't have to look at them to feel it just look at them at first to get a feel for who they are and then just Put your focus on them. You don't have to stare again. You can just put your focus on their physical being and try and hold it as long as possible. And then eventually a feeling is going to come into you. If they're a good person, it's going to be a good feeling. If they're a bad person, it might be a tense feeling. If they're a really bad person, like the one of the hardest things you can do is once you get sensitive, if you watch... Um, you know, like Netflix docu-series. Uh, I'm just, I'm recently watching the one on uh, Gacy and you see a picture of that person or you see a video of that person and you've made yourself sensitive to others' energies. The feeling you'll get off of somebody who's like a serial killer is insanely terrifying. I, I, I When I first started doing this and I, I, I realized that, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. But most normal people in a coffee shop are not going to be that. So don't worry. If you come across a serial killer, you can let the police know. And then maybe they'll hire you as their investigative psychic, which I think would be a fun career. But that's just me. Uh, so you can feel into energies. That gets you more sensitive to it for sure. And then once you get kind of accustomed to that, you can then apply this technique in a very powerful way. You can still do it even before that. But it gets more and more powerful the more sensitive you are to it. So the energetic hug is not like a real hug. An energetic hug is kind of like um, merging your energy with somebody else. So when you put your focus on them, yes, you're feeling their energy. But then after a while, you can get to the point that you can actually feel your own energy go into theirs. Or their energy coming into yours. And in that moment, even if you don't look at them, 
you're going to feel a deep connection with a complete stranger. Because when it comes down to it, we're all basically the same thing. We're all basically those vibrating atoms that are, con you know, vibrating at different levels to create the material that we are. So we have a connection to others. They can be all the way across the world. But if you've docked with them, so to speak, that you have connected with them in the past, you can still feel them as if they are still here. This is the same thing with loved ones who pass away. You can still feel their energy as if they're still here. And that's, again, another subject. So being able to connect with others, and this is where it's going to be at a little bit difficult because the first few are really hard, especially when you're feeling anger towards somebody. But if, like, let's say somebody cuts you off in traffic and they flip you the bird, and you're like, why'd they do that? You're going to hate them in that moment. But then you can catch it. And it's when you catch that that you can make that connection with them, put your focus energy on them and just merge with their energy. And then you'll realize that, you know, that deep connection is going to push away the anger. Because that deep connection is so much more powerful than the anger itself that once you make that connection, which I call hugging their energy, the anger just goes away. It's actually very powerful. It's very shocking that that happens, but it does. So you can use it in traffic. You can use it with your boss. You can use it with somebody in your family. You can use it with your spouse. Uh, if you're just meditating in an evening, you can make your meditation. That's, that's the subject. So pick a person in your life, you know, Mr. Johnson uh, called me an a-hole today and uh, I'm very angry at him and just sit there and meditate, picture him in your head, feel his energy signature and then do that energy hug, you know, merge the energies together and hold it. It's that focus that's very powerful. If you can hold it for, say, 5, 10, 20 minutes and just feel into that, it's going to eventually take you to another level of bliss. And the strange thing is, I, I don't know if it's how you're going to react with them and they pick up on it or if it's because of that energy itself and they now have changed their viewpoint of you. The next time you see them, they're going to be like a completely different person to you if you've done it with a deep level of focus and you will feel that connection to them and they will react back to you in a similar way. Now, disclaimer this isn't going to work for everyone there's going to be some people who are just so completely stuck in their anger that they may act towards you in the same manner and you'll be like oh daniel's an idiot this didn't work and then you'll go back to being angry at them don't do that because if anything you releasing your own anger is good for you because sometimes people don't even realize you're angry with them and who is that hurting that's not hurting them that's hurting you so releasing it is very good. And even if it changes to the way you see them, but they still act to you in the same way, well, they can just laugh it off. Basically, it's like a child, right? Having a tantrum and you can just react to it in that same, ha, ha, it's okay, Mr. Johnson. Uh, you'll feel better after your sippy cup or something along those lines. So I hope that helps. Again, I hope these spiritual segments help as well. Because in the end, I believe life is to be enjoyed. It makes me sad when people say that life is difficult and I hate it and I wish I was dead or whatever, but uh, it is to be enjoyed because we all live in a natural state of bliss. 
that tends to get suppressed and ruined by anger and uh, fighting and, you know, going against those who don't believe what you believe and so on and so forth. So that's my two cents. I love the story of Ambrose Small. Have I made that obvious to you guys? If anybody has listened to many, many of my shows, I've made it completely obvious that um, the story behind Ambrose Small has kept me fascinated for years because it's not very often in Canada. I know there's probably modern stories of disappearances. Maybe it's related to drugs. I, I don't know. But to have a story like this, where this man in the 19, it was actually 1919, so right before the 1920s, he was an owner of theaters, he was a rich man, lived a rich man's life, uh, multiple theaters, live theater venues in Toronto, Hamilton, London, and then one day he's like, no, I've had enough, I'm moving on, I'm gone, I don't like my wife, Sorry, but that's true as well. Uh, he sells his theater chains, all of them, gets a cool million dollars. This is early 1900s million, so it's worth more in today. And he's like, okay, perfect. He gets his money. He buys a Cadillac, which I guess was his dream. He actually bought a fur coat for his wife, which, uh, you know, was, you know, nice of him considering their relationship was uh, quite tense. Not nice of him, though, because he was a cheater and all that, but. You know, he, he did it, did something for her, deposited the money in a bank account, visited with his lawyer, and then disappeared. Completely gone. Everybody's like, what, what the hell? Because they're like, uh, well, we thought Ambrose might have run away with the money because he didn't want to share it with his wife or people in the family. He could have just hightailed it, but the money wasn't taken. The money was still sitting in the bank account. So they suspected foul play. Now, I think I've gone over this story before. Uh, I'll check my archives if I haven't. I'll feature that completely. But just the overhead is he disappeared and he was never found again. Not even a body. Which kind of leads me into the main subject of this podcast. And it all starts with Hamilton's Old Tivoli Theater. So we used to have a theater. Technically the oldest one in Canada, although there's an asterisk there. It was a carriage factory. In the 1800s, they converted it into a vaudeville theater and then eventually added a massive auditorium to the back. So technically, it's the oldest theater building, but it wasn't always a theater, hence the asterisks. Now, it was a live theater to start with, uh, with vaudeville and eventually shows, and then they converted it to a, a movie theater when the moving picture starts becoming popular, and it was that for many, many decades. I remember it personally as a movie theater. I don't remember. I, I went to see a movie there once and it was beautiful. You know, that was the way movie theaters were when I was a kid, not the modern ones you have today. And then eventually it was purchased by Sam the Record Man. And if you don't know who that is, you're not Canadian. Back in the days of records, this was the guy, uh, Sam the Record Man. He was most famous in Toronto. There was uh, franchises everywhere. Obviously, records not being popular anymore at a certain time ruined him. But during the height of that, he purchased, or the company purchased the Tivoli Theater. They stuck a Sam the Record Man right beside it, and then they opened the Tivoli. They converted it back to a live theater. 
So a manager was hired uh, who will remain nameless. A manager was hired. Let's call him Bob. Bob comes in and oversees everything that needs to be done in the renovations. And during this time, the spirits of the very haunted theater are stirred up. And there's a bunch of different stories about different ghosts that are inside there. But it tend to fall on one main spirit. Now, they called him the Victorian homeless dude, which is adorable, but there's a reason for that. So they, they, the witnesses, which were some employees, they said they saw this fella, and it almost looked like he was um, dressed in ratty clothing, like a, a used to be a nice old-fashioned suit. They said he wore a bowler hat. And the most notable feature was his mustache. They said he had a very prominent, massive mustache on his face. And they started seeing him around the building. Now, with renovations going on, the doors were constantly open. It's downtown Hamilton. It's not too far from the core. The first thing that they thought was it was a homeless guy. Because uh, homelessness has always been an issue in Hamilton. It's getting worse today. So they just thought that the guy snuck in and he was just sleeping in the building. So the workers told the manager, Bob, air quotes, and uh, they said, oh, here's the guy. They described him in detail because they saw him in in, uh, very vivid detail. And the manager was just frustrated because he kept hearing about this guy from multiple employees, but he never saw him. Looked everywhere, you know, at all times of the day and night. And there was nobody there. So it was very frustrating because he thought that maybe they're going crazy or he's crazy because he's not seeing it. But then he thought about that description. Now, Bob did know the history of the place. He made it his job to find that out because the place was so historic. He wanted to feel that pride towards it, which he was very proud of the history. So knowing the history of the place and hearing the description, something clicked inside his head. So what did he do? He walks across the street. The central library is right there. He gets a book on theater history, flip, 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 gets to the picture of a man. Sorry, there's no no, uh, surprise here. It's Ambrose Small. He walks back over and shows the picture of Ambrose Small to every single one of those witnesses. And every single one of those witnesses, yeah, I mean, that's the guy. I mean, the, the very sharp, hawkish features, the massive mustache. They're like, that's him. It's just so very much as a unique looking man he doesn't look like a lot of other men and immediately clicked so then the manager bob he's like oh goodness it looks like we have the ghost of ambrose small haunting the place because after ambrose was revealed was exposed and found out in the building they didn't see him anymore so the victorian homeless dude just kind of disappeared so renovations happen It goes from being a live theater to a, um, sorry, it goes from being a movie theater back to a live theater again. And as they're doing the renovations, they revealed, well, they knew it was there. uh, There was a courtyard in the middle of the building. It's no longer a courtyard since the front structure uh, was taken down. The auditorium still remains. The original courtyard is now the front that fronts on to the small parkette that they created on the space but back then it was like this hidden courtyard so when they're doing the renovations you got a hidden courtyard and you got this steel door 
that led into this strange little vaulted crawl space. And when they opened it up originally, they were just amazed. I mean, this would have been if you were on eBay, if you were a movie nerd, this would have been your uh, your mecca. This would have been the place you went because it had historic vaudeville posters, old movie posters. It had movie reels, like old movie reels, and it was just amazing. So they start pulling out all the stuff. They're in steamer trunks, which are the big trunks that they use for traveling, usually made of steel. And they started pulling them out one by one, and then there's one sitting in the back by itself. Seems off from the others. It seems a little more dusty than the rest. And when they pulled it out, they opened it up and they were shocked because what was inside looked like a human skeleton. Now, the first thing that pops in their head, it's probably what popped in your head right now, is that it wasn't real. So they're thinking that this isn't a real skeleton. It looks real, but it's not because it's probably a vaudeville prop. You know, like dancing with the skeleton, you know, something dark, making it funny. That's the first thing I thought. So they think it's a prop, but it looks extremely real. It looks so real that they actually contacted a forensics department at the Toronto police. Toronto, because at the time Hamilton didn't have a forensics department and they had to come in. But I mean, it's if the skeleton is in there, there was no smell it wasn't like rotting so it's obvious the skeleton is very old if it is real and the toronto police is like we have actual dead bodies that we have to handle right now so this skeleton takes a back seat to those cases and there was a delay and during that delay that's when it happened so what they say is it was thrown out by mistake And immediately, I know you thinking what I'm thinking the whole time is that thrown out by mistake almost sounds like it never existed in the first place. That's that's the first thing I thought, because you have this amazing story and then they're like, oh, show us the skeleton. It's like, what? What skeleton? It's gone. (laughs) You immediately don't believe it. So that's what I thought originally. But then when you think a little bit logically about the situation that was surrounding the building at the time, it kind of makes sense, you know, in the sense that there's a lot of craziness going on. You got these old rusted out steamer trunks and people are just like tossing things as quickly as possible. There's probably a deadline that needs to be met. And the workers, they don't know what's inside of it. And maybe it was put in the wrong spot. Who knows? And some worker just picked it up, threw it in a dumpster and it was gone. So I think it's possible. I mean, the, why make up the story in the first place? This, this story wasn't used as part of the marketing of the building to get people to show up. It was just something that was told on the slide to us. And it was coming from a really, you know, logical source. And I, I believed it. So, again, there was no, no obvious advantage to them sharing that story with us. Yet we heard it anyway, became legend. So if it is true, and it was who we think it was, Ambrose Small, then the skeleton of Ambrose Small is currently in a dumpster somewhere. <laughs> Maybe not in a dumpster, but it probably in a, in a, in a dump. Uh, it would have been dumped out, and we have no idea where he has gone. Now, I do want some final words about the building itself. 
because I think it's an absolute shame. The Tivoli Theater was a beautiful structure. It had the, uh, the statues, the seats were so comfortable. It was like a 2,000-seat auditorium, a beautiful stage. It, it was stunning. Even the lobby, which is now gone, there's no way to get that back, uh, was also stunning as well. But the auditorium still remains. And supposedly it was going to be, they're going to put condos on the spot and just work the auditorium into the condos as like some kind of event space or maybe reopen it or whatever. And there was all these wonderful plans and then no condos went up. And they leave the auditorium there completely exposed. And I was in there a couple times during the art crawl, they opened it up. They don't do that anymore for obvious reasons. And it was just completely neglected. The water stains, so anytime it rains, the water gets inside there. And this is the old technique that some developers will use called uh, demolition by neglect. So the city has given their strong opinion that the historic building should be saved. And then the owner's like, oh, yeah, no problem. I'll save it once I get started with building. And then they don't build. And then they just leave it. And then they keep their fingers crossed that it's just going to fall down on its own. So this is demolition by neglect. So that that way you get around. It's like a loophole for destroying historic and significant spaces, which when it comes down to it, most developers, they just want to save money. I can understand that mindset, but I mean, when it comes to the to buying a historic place like that, I always saw it in the back of my mind is that you want that. And I think people are starting to change over to it that mindset that keeping the history is actually worthwhile because then folks will want to live in your building because they'll have that story to tell. And the Tivoli Theater would have been a great one for that. But unfortunately, this is just my opinion. I believe it is too far gone. After seeing it years ago, the way it looked then, and knowing not a finger has been lifted to fix it up at all, I think it's too far gone. So I think whenever they decide to build those condos, if they ever do, there's no way they can save that auditorium. So it will be demolished, unfortunately. But we still have our ghost stories and we still have our dark history. Okay, that's it, everyone. I do have an interview on Monday. If it all works out, I'm going to have a talk with a spiritual life coach, a deep ghost believer. Also, uh, she has been out at many ghost walk walks and events and is, uh, her name is Lauren Holder. So she'll be my interview, which will hopefully get posted by Monday. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.